The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Most people are trying to change one habit or another for the better, and they've probably tried to change before, but without much luck. Our guest on this episode, Professor Katie Milkman, is an award-winning behavioral scientist at the Wharton School. And Katie's research explores ways that insights from economics and psychology can be used to change behaviors for good. She's the author of a new book on that topic called How to Change the Science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm wondering how your background in engineering affects your approach to this topic of change. I think it has a big impact. And I love that question. It, it, um, it isn't something I realized was shaping the way I approached the topic for many years. Um, and actually, when I sat down to write this book and looked back at the different discoveries that I had made and the discoveries my colleagues had made that I found most exciting and most useful, I realized there was a common theme, which was that um, each of those discoveries really harnessed an understanding of what the forces of opposition to change were and and tailored a solution that was well suited to countering those forces and an engineer is trained to think about the world in terms of you know forces and counterforces to design with an understanding of the environment that they're up against. And what I realized is that the, the best work on behavior change has that exact structure as well. And that even though I hadn't done it necessarily explicitly throughout my career, that had been sort of a guiding principle I was working off of. And it ended up being the central premise of my book. I structured it around uh, a recognition of what are the, what are those barriers that are most common that we face when we're trying to change. And then uh, once we know those barriers or those obstacles, those forces, what is it that science shows we can do to counter them? You've learned that 40% of premature deaths are related to behaviors that we can change. And while that might seem like bad news, I think it's actually good news. Can you explain that a little bit about why we should be optimistic? Yeah, it was a statistic that frankly changed the course of my life because it was so uh, unexpected. I, I learned about that that work about 15 years ago now, and I was astounded. I really thought that the fraction of premature deaths that are caused by behaviors we could change, you know, decisions we make about what to eat, what to drink, whether to be physically active, whether to smoke, um, whether or not to be safe when we get into vehicles. I thought they probably contributed to premature death at a level of, you know, four or five percent compared to things like accidents, genetics, the environment, and learning that it, they're actually the largest factor, the largest um, contributor to premature deaths in the U.S. was mind boggling to me. Uh, it, it made 
made me optimistic, though, as you point out, because I realized we actually could do something about that. In fact, that behavioral science has a lot to offer. And there was an opportunity there to take the tools from this burgeoning discipline and and try to figure out what can we offer? How can we in, reduce the size of that um, that wedge in that graph that captured my attention? And what are you trying to do with the book, How to Change? I wrote this book because I've been studying the topic of behavior change now for almost 20 years. And I've, I would say with a single-minded focus for about 15. Uh, and I realized I had enough accumulated knowledge at this point from, from my own work, from the work of my uh, you know brilliant colleagues, collaborators, and those that I admire in the field, but haven't collaborated with. Um, to, to be able to really write something that felt like it could be useful and maybe could contribute to the, the many premature deaths, the many, um, you know, people who end up without, uh, financial security and retirement and, uh, you know, those who don't achieve all of their goals in their education or in their workplace, that this might help. Uh, it certainly isn't going to solve all of the problems of the world, right? Many of the barriers to change aren't internal. And I study internal barriers to change, right? We have massive issues with inequality and so on. And understanding behavioral science isn't the key to solving those problems. But to the extent that there are internal barriers preventing us from achieving our goals, science has a lot to offer. And I was excited to be able to put that together and and try to write a guide that could help people um, change and understand, understand the science behind it, which was really important to me as well. One of the big barriers that I've found to working out or at least delaying working out during the day <laughs> is the, having the TV, having Netflix, having my phone. And I love how you were able to incorporate working out and having uh, some time for entertainment. So how did you do that? And why do you think that worked? Yeah, thank you for asking me that question. This is one of my favorite life hacks. Uh, and, and it was particularly fun because it's, it started when I was a graduate student and then later became part of a research program when I realized, oh, wait, <laughs> this can help other people too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> as a graduate student, I struggled like many people like you, it sounds like with, um, with those temptations to, I'd come home at the end of a long day of classes. I was exhausted. All I wanted to do was, you know, curl up on my couch and binge watch TV or read a juicy page turner. And I knew I should really get myself to the gym because of all the benefits of exercise for mental health for well-being more generally. Um, I knew it was important. And I also needed to get my homework done, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to do either. I was in this procrastination mode. And I had a, an idea, which was, what if I only let myself indulge in the entertainment I was craving at the end of a long day at the gym? What if those two things were inextricably linked? If I, I set a rule for myself that um, gym time is the only time I get that entertainment fix. And I tried it. And it was like magic. I found myself coming home, craving trips to the gym to find out what was happening next. And my, you know, I, I did it with page turners. A lot of people do it with TV shows. For me, that's too much sensory input. But I was, <laughs> you know, reading the Alex Cross series, not reading, I'd listen to the audiobook um, or, you know, Harry Potter. And I was desperate to find out what happened next and, and these thrillers to my favorite characters. And then while I was at the gym, time just flew by. I didn't even notice. Uh, that I was there essentially. And then I would finish the workout, come home. I'd had my entertainment fix. I felt rejuvenated and I was totally ready to focus on my work. It was like magic. So what I realized is that 
this is a tool that might be helpful to other people. I call it temptation bundling. And the the simple insight, right, is to, to hook something that you find tempting and enjoyable to something that would normally feel like a chore. So that when you put the two together, the chore disappears. Any guilt you might feel from indulging in the temptation can also go by the wayside. And by the way, you'll probably indulge in the temptation a bit less when it's constrained in this way. Um, and, and hopefully you enjoy the two things more together. And uh, so it's sort of a win-win. And I've studied it and proven that it's not just me, but it can help other people exercise more regularly when they link these kinds of temptations with their workouts. But you can see easily how the same idea applies in lots of settings. It's not just about exercise, right? If you want to motivate yourself to do more household chores or cook fresh meals for your family, you might only allow yourself to listen to your favorite podcasts while you're doing those things. Or say there's a tasty... Uh, beverage that you like to pick up at your favorite coffee shop, but maybe you shouldn't have as much of as you you would unconstrained. Well, only let yourself pick up that treat when you're heading to do something that you know you should do more of, whether it's to visit an elderly relative you should spend more time with, or um, heading to the library to hit the books if you're a student. Linking those treats with something that you might otherwise procrastinate on can make uh, that chore turn into a pleasure. So so this idea can be used in lots of different settings. And I think it's a nice example of engineering change because it's really about understanding what is working against you. Oh, it's not fun in the moment. It has these long-term consequences that you value. That's why you want to do the chore in the first place, why you want to exercise or you know, uh, cook a fresh meal or um, you know, study for a test or work on a report. Those things, they have long-term value, but they're not fun in the moment. And once you recognize that's the challenge that we tend to care a lot about instant gratification, you can find a way to link something instantly gratifying with that chore and change the equation. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. 
food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. In general, how can we isolate the weaknesses that may be preventing us from having progress in terms of change? Yeah, that's a that's a great question too. You know, it's funny. I at various points in writing this book, how to change. I thought about, you know, should I make a little quiz that tries to help people categorize what are the barriers for you to behavior change? I ended up not doing that, and instead, I structured the book around the different barriers, which range from you know the challenge of getting started to temptation and impulsivity um, and pr- procrastination, which is of course the flip side of those, um, to forgetting. Um, to laziness, which I actually think of as as not only a problem, but also a solution to many of the changes we want to make in our lives, to confidence and conformity. And uh, I actually think once you're familiar with each of these barriers, and, and you can familiarize yourself, you know, in just a couple minutes with each of these challenges, they're, they're common. We're all, we're all familiar with them, frankly. <laughs> it's really easy to recognize and diagnose, like, what, what is my problem here, right? For me with the gym, it was clearly about um, impulsivity, right? It wasn't instantly gratifying. That was the problem. It wasn't forgetting. But, you know, occasionally I've been prescribed medications and there it wasn't that i was tempted not to take them it was that i forgot right and there was there's no rocket science to figuring that out it's like it's the clearest of things it's just that often we don't do that categorization we sort of reach for the shiny solutions that are offered up in in self-help bestsellers like you know visualize success or or set big audacious goals we just go for that when we see that something isn't working for us instead of just taking the time to actually understand, well, wait, what is the obstacle here? And what does science have to offer in terms of solutions to that problem? Right. So if it's a forgetting problem, we would want to use really different tools than if it's an impulsivity problem. And likewise, if it's a co- problem of confidence, right? For me, when I started public speaking, I really lacked confidence. And that was a totally different barrier to, you know, s- putting myself out there doing the things that I knew were important for my career and making that change than uh, impulsivity or forgetting. So, so I don't think that there is a lot of complexity to the diagnosis process. It's more that um, even understanding these separate categories of barriers exist and that, that spending a moment even to consider what is the obstacle. And by the way, it's often the case that there are multiple obstacles. What are the obstacles I should say that are standing in the way of change that's um that's the first step and then again you know both my book and other books and other roadmaps and and research you can find in other places will can really help you tailor your approach so you have a better chance at success when is laziness a good approach to take <laughs> When isn't laziness a good approach to take? I know. Um, I was going to say with like Netflix and binge watching, does that relate at all? <laughs> I'm hoping. Oh, yeah. so. oh, sure. Absolutely. If you think about, I mean, Netflix is very aware of our proclivity for laziness. If you think about that um, feature where the next show in a series just automatically loads as soon mm-hmm. as you finish one. Good that thing, is, bad thing. <laughs> yeah, right. That is capitalizing on your tendency to, you know, you can call it laziness, which is 
is the common term. Uh, scientists often call it inertia, the, right? The tendency to take the path of least resistance, to do whatever is the easiest, as opposed to making active choices. Um, so it can be a major, major barrier to change, of course, right? We're stuck in our ways. Habits are essentially the path of least resistance. So habit is um, one, of the, one of the issues here. Um, but once you recognize that you take the path of least resistance, there are things you can do that actually turn it into a tool as opposed to a barrier, um, which is to say, if you know that you will always reach for the, the option that's available to you most readily, you can set up your life so the options available to you most readily align with your goals, right? You can... You can stock your groceries, um, your pantry, your refrigerator with foods that help you achieve your health goals and make it a hassle to get something that's not so good for you. Right now, now you have to like go order food online, get go through this process, and there's a tasty, easily preparable snack already waiting for you in the in the kitchen. Um, so you can set up other defaults in life. If you know that left to your own devices, you might not set aside enough of each paycheck for retirement, you can set up an auto deduction from your paycheck that arrives every month and send it straight into savings. So you don't even have to think about it. This will happen automatically over and over again, and you'll never even see the money or be tempted to spend it that that you might otherwise have wanted to buy new gadgets with instead of setting aside. So once you understand that you need to make things easy, you can often just in in one or two um, sort of, I'll call them moments of inspiration, <laughs> take actions that will carry you forward for a long time by setting yourself up. So the default, the path of least resistance is the one that's aligned with your goals. So that's, that's option one as a solution to this is sort of harness it. Um, and then the second is thinking really deliberately about forming habits. So you can't always make a one-time change in life like changing you know the what's on your shopping list and therefore in your house or uh, changing the default settings on your bank account in order to carry you forward and so if you can't then the question is can you set good habits in motion because they're essentially the default settings for our repeated behaviors and there's a lot of science saying that um, habits can be very deliberately formed and there's some wonderful books that have have preceded mine that cover this from The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg to Good Habits, Bad Habits by Wendy Wood, who's a professor at USC who I admire very much and who I whose work I cite extensively um, when I talk about habits, which is just one of the topics in the book. But the, the key formula really is quite simple. It's that repetition breeds habit. And that if you um, associate some kind of reward with the behavior that you're repeating, then habit is more likely to stick. So the reward can be praise from people who you care about because you make your behaviors visible to them. It could be some kind of self-reward. Think of temptation bundling as a form of self-reward. Um, it could be that you're tracking the behavior. And so you get that burst of pride or even you know a little badge on an app um, that makes you feel good when you've achieved a streak or a, a you know consistency. Um, and it can literally be cash, right? Sometimes employers or health insurers will literally offer cash rewards for repeatedly engaging in a good behavior. And there's evidence that that helps put that behavior on autopilot. So those are a couple of different paths we can take when we think laziness is a barrier to turn it from a barrier into a solution actually to change. 
We thank you for being part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we want to take a minute to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. That's Hover, spelled H-O-V-E-R. Have you ever thought about starting your own business or creating a brand, sharing your wealth of knowledge with the world, using your years of experience to create something for yourself? Hover wants to help you take the first step in getting your ideas off the ground. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business you want to take online, the The first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes this super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. In addition to the classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art with over 400 more to choose from. You'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your your business, one that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. If you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. Secure, simple, and reliable. Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Purchase. Maybe you want to buy a domain name for someone as a gift for the holidays. You may even want to secure your child's name as a domain name for privacy purposes. Again, that's hover.com slash nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. That's hover spelled H-O-V-E-R dot com slash nobody for 10% off your first purchase. I was fascinated to read how important you feel timing is as far as kickstarting a habit is concerned. Tell us more about what we should know about timing and and when the best times are. Yeah. One of the most exciting topics I've studied in my career is um, uh, something I call the fresh start effect. And this is research that I've done in in collaboration with Heng Chen Dai of UCLA's Anderson School of Management and Jason Reese, who's a senior fellow at Wharton with me. And um, what we've discovered is that there are moments in life that feel more like new beginnings to us than other points in time. So take a Monday, that's a new beginning. Um, The start of a new month or a new season, the start of a new year feels like a new beginning. The celebration of a birthday can give you that sense of a new beginning or the start of a semester if you're a student. And at these moments that feel to us like new beginnings, like we're turning over a new leaf, a new chapter of some kind is beginning, you know, some are more momentous than others, but they all give us a sense of a fresh start and a clean slate. And they motivate us actually to pursue our goals more vigorously. So a lot of people are more, uh, more interested in things like setting new year's resolutions, uh, at these moments. And it's, it's part of what drives the New Year's resolution effect is you feel like at the start of a new year, or the start of this new era, you can say, you know, this is the new me, the old me last year. Okay, the old me failed to quit smoking or didn't get into a good exercise habit. But that really was the old me and the new me and the new year can do it. So you get this dissociation from your past failures that gives you more optimism. And you're, you tend to do more reflection because at a new beginning, a fresh start moment, you feel like 
hmm, I'm going to step back and think big picture. What are my goals right now? So um, we do it at all these different times. And that leads to upticks in goal pursuit, uh, increased gym visits. People are more likely to set goals around their health and wellness, around their uh, education, their finances, even the environment at these moments. And they're more nudgeable. So if you encourage someone to, for instance, start saving for retirement and you invite them to begin doing so on a fresh start date, for instance, do you want to start saving at the start of spring or do you want to start saving uh, following your next birthday? People find that more attractive than being invited to start on an ordinary date in the future. And um, so... So I think fresh starts are really exciting. And what they show us is that we can help ourselves by looking for these moments and renewing our efforts to make change at times that that feel aligned to us with fresh starts. And we can also encourage others to do the same more uh, successfully at fresh start moments. At the same time, you also say that fresh starts can stop us when we're on a roll. How can we prevent that? Yeah. So the the ugly underbelly of the fresh start effect is that the reason fresh starts are so powerful is they feel like a disruption in life and they give us this dissociation in our um in our sort of view of ourselves we can say oh you know i'm turning over a new leaf it's a new era a new beginning and that's great when things haven't been going well right that that's just what you need is a disruption to convince you well now i can get back on the horse and and start that gym routine or um start knocking it out of the park with my sales goals But if you've been having a great stretch and along comes a fresh start, a disruption that leads you to, you know, do some reflection, step back, feel a dissociation like you're beginning a new era, that's actually harmful if things are going well. And there's really terrific research that was done by, again, my my former student, Hang Chen Dai of UCLA, showing um, this in the domain of actually... Major League Baseball, looking at players who are traded during the season and specifically um, comparing players who are traded within leagues to players traded across leagues. Now, both experience a fresh start to some degree, but players traded across leagues have a bigger fresh start because it turns out um, when you're traded across leagues, all your season to date statistics are reset, whereas a within league trade gets to hold on to that season to date record. Um, so both, both are moving to a new community, but one has a greater fresh start. And when she compares what happens to these two types of players and looks at statistically identical players who've had a really good season so far and then are traded or a really bad season, then are traded. And she compares across the ones who have the bigger fresh start, this, um, reset, what she sees is that, um, the resets are great for the players who've been having a tough season. They really benefit from having that slate wiped clean. They seem more motivated and they do better. But it, it's just the opposite for those who've been playing really well. If you your season to date statistics are really strong and then along comes a fresh start, it's wiped clean, you have to begin again. This can be quite harmful. It's disruptive relative to a player who's statistically identical but doesn't go through the same degree of a reset. So um, fresh starts come in different flavors. I should also know you know they can be temporal time dates they can be a move um, to a new community a disruption like the one we've just been through um, in the form of a pandemic hopefully we won't have a lot of those um, they're they're all different kinds of things that give us the sense of a new beginning and a clean slate but they can be harmful when things are going well so we have to look out for them in those circumstances and, and try to actually avoid disruption to the extent we can and have control over it over it um, when we feel like things are going well for us or for the people we care about 
You mentioned the pandemic and disruption, and I'm wondering what your observations have been in terms of the impact of the pandemic on on our behavior and on our efforts to change things in our lives. Yeah, and especially I'm really curious to know how that impacted your gym routine. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was hard to go to the gym during the pandemic. Right. It? Right. So how did that um, change and not safe, even if it was possible to do it? Yeah. No, this has been a massive disruption. Obviously, uh, you know, it's been far more than a disruption. It's it's taken a huge toll on um, in so many ways. But uh, it, it has been, I think, difficult for for many reasons. One of them is that we went through a period where the fresh starts that we were used to, the things that disrupted life and gave us a sense of renewal and um, an excitement were uh, basically wiped away for a long period, right? So Monday and Sunday blurred together. If you're working from home, there's no vacation to disrupt uh, to a, you know, a, a, a different destination. There's you know the school routine for a lot of kids that had such an impact on their lives was also thrown out the window. So, so um, I think one of the reasons people, you know, you probably remember some of the cartoons about like melting calendars because it felt like everything <laughs> right. blurred. Yeah. That, that was throwing off our ability to have fresh start experiences and and to get the renewal that we need. Um, but on the flip side, I think an interesting thing about the pandemic um, is that it forced us to experiment in ways that we wouldn't usually with um, with new patterns in our lives. We were forced to change. Normally, we can you know sort of stick to our old ways, but everyone was had to suddenly switch to working from home, to finding ways to exercise at home, to teaching their kids from home, and so on. And in so doing, obviously, a lot of us discovered, wow, this is worse. But but actually, occasionally, people found. Um, something that worked better for them. And I'll say, for instance, you know, rather than exercising in the gym, I ended up needing to find a new routine and ended up becoming really enthusiastic about hiking with my family. Um, we also, this is, this is sort of a silly one, but we, um, we found that I have a five and a half year old son and we found that there were videos of um, something called Just Dance. It's like a video game where they um, show you how to dance along with a pop star. And we could watch these on YouTube on the big screen in our house and, and dance along with them. And that turned out to be a really fun way the whole family exercised together for a period. And we would never have found that if we hadn't been in this constrained situation. Again, I'm not saying these are things that are all desirable, but occasionally when you're forced to experiment, you find something that actually you want to keep doing that you want to bring forward. And in general, one of the things about inertia or laziness is that we experiment too little in life and we, we sort of settle into our ways. We don't figure out that, Oh, actually, you know, working from home makes me really productive and happy. And I, I don't ever want to go back to the office and I don't need to. And my boss has agreed. And, and if this hadn't happened, there's no way that, that anyone would have ever uh, said, that that was going to be a sustainable equilibrium or even allowed me to experiment with it, but I was forced to. And so many employers that said they'd never allow people to work from home now realize they're going to. And so um, the pandemic has largely been awful, don't get me wrong, but it has forced experimentation in interesting ways that um, I think you know, we'll see long-term changes in behavior and in, in uh, relationships between employees and employers children and parents, schools, and so on. 
Katie, at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that you wish you knew about change when you were doing that initial me search? Because it would have helped you going through some tough times and made those changes happen more quickly. I wish that I had understood how important a change it is to pursue it in a way that you enjoy. I think for much of my life, whether it was as a student trying to do well in my classes or as a, you know, friend trying to, uh, you know, build relationships, it wasn't as apparent to me as it should have been or as a person, you know, trying to get fit that, that, um, the path to success really requires you to enjoy the journey. Right. It's, it's something you're told maybe, but, but you don't internalize and, uh, I thought, you know, if I just find the the fastest, most direct path to my goal, that's that's the best thing to do. And I have since learned and wish wish I had known how important it is to enjoy the journey because that's what causes you to persist. And so, um, you know, that's now a part of everything I do, and from selecting research projects and collaborators to, um, you know, trying to uh, shape. Organizations that I run, it's it's so critical to make sure that enjoyment is part of the equation. Katie, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about your work and your book? The best place to find me is probably on my website, which is Katie with a Y, just like Katie Perry, um, katiemilkman.com. And you know, I'm on Twitter with that with Katie Milkman as my handle and Instagram and LinkedIn and so on. And um I have a podcast called Choiceology as well. If you enjoyed this, you might get a kick out of that. Check it out. Definitely. Katie, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Again, our thanks to Katie Milkman, whose latest book is called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And again, her website is katiemilkman.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.